Uh, if you're new with us, um, man, you picked a great first week. Uh, we are uh, capping off our summer series where we've spent our entire summer in this incredible chapter of the Bible that's all about love. I'm really asking God to grow us in this dynamic vision of life that you just heard the kids read there. Um, and I'm really excited for today's service, where we're going to get to hear stories from one another, and we're going to hear how Jesus has been at live and at work in this community, because uh, we worship a living God, amen? And so uh, today, Celebration Sunday, I'm really looking forward to it. So fun to have the kids in here. Um, but before we uh, turn to passing the mic around, we've got one last message in our First Corinthians series, um, because after giving this beautiful description of love that our kids just recited for us there, um, Paul has one last thing he wants to tell us about love, and it's something you won't want to miss. Are you ready? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to finish the chapter today. Pick it up in verse 8. It reads this. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three and the greatest of these is love. Um, now, verses 4 to 7 uh, get all the airtime at weddings. Um, but I think those verses right there are some of the most beautiful verses in the chapter. Um, what Paul just said is, if you are in Christ, love is in your future. And um, he doesn't say it that concisely um, because he's a preacher. Um, and preachers don't say anything concisely. Uh, and more importantly than that, um, I think this is a truth that, that Paul wants you and me to feel in the depths of our soul. And so he paints this really vivid picture to help get this idea deep into us. And my prayer for this last message is that God, by the power of his spirit, would get this truth deep in us in such a way that our lives won't be the same after today. Um, to do that, we're going to look at those verses in three parts. We're going to talk about things that are fleeting. Um, things that'll last forever, and we're going to talk about why this matters or why he would end the chapter this way. Um, Paul starts off by saying there's some things in life that are fleeting. In other words, there are things that we just focus on way too much. Um, it doesn't mean that they're bad. Look at the things that he mentions specifically in verse 8. He talks about prophecy, tongues, and words of knowledge. Um, those are spiritual gifts. And if you're new to church, uh, a spiritual gift is, is just a special ability that the Holy Spirit gives uh, to his people to make much of his goodness in the world. That God gives every believer gifts uh, that would uh, say to the world around us that God is good. That something we couldn't do in and of ourselves, but through the Spirit we are given a gift to show the world how good our God is. And um, if you read the previous chapter, chapter 12, uh, you'll, you'll see that idea that God gives every believer a gift, that our gifts are important, and the ones that you think aren't important are actually some of the most important gifts in the whole church, um, because the church is really only at her best when every member, every person present 
is walking in the fullness of the gifts that the Holy Spirit has entrusted to us to make much of Jesus. And so all that to say, Paul is very pro-spiritual gifts. Again, if you want to read chapter 12, I know we've been in 13 all summer. If you want to read chapter 12, you'll see how pro-spiritual gifts he is. Maybe we'll do a series on that next summer. I'm just bookending that now. Someone write that down. That could be a good idea. Because spiritual gifts are important. But what he says here at the end of 13 is he says, hey, you know those gifts that God has given you that can have a great impact on this world that I've spent all of this time teaching you about? Well, those gifts, they're good, but they're not going to last forever. He says that they will pass away when the perfect comes. Now, any guesses as to who or what that is talking about? I've been gone a few weeks. You guys aren't responsive anymore. (laughs) I see that hand. Jesus. Chris, that's a great guess. You're in church. That's a safe guess, everybody. And it happens to be correct. Yes. Um, and, And I do point that out because some people will say, no, this is talking about the completion of the Bible. That when the Bible is completed, then we won't need these gifts anymore. And and look, if you've been around any time, you know I'm a big Bible guy. Um, I love that God has given us his true word in the scriptures. I don't know what I'd do without this. But I think it's because I'm a big Bible guy. I'm like, we should actually look at what the Bible just said there. It says, we know in part, but when the perfect comes, we'll know in full. Now let me just ask you this. Can anybody tell me if Bitcoin's going to recover and if I should invest in it? No. One of you, you're like, yes, I can. No, you can't. You can guess. And and your guess might be probably is uh, a better guess than mine because I really don't know. But unless you drove here in a flying DeLorean, you don't know. Because there's things in life we don't know. And, And frankly, I think if we were honest, there's a shocking number of things in life we don't know. Because what the scriptures tell us is we are finite. The way Paul says it is we see in a mirror dimly. Um, that's an analogy that's kind of lost on us uh, in modern people because now our mirrors have like computer chips and internet and they talk to us and they lead our workouts now. Uh, in the ancient world, they didn't have any of that. Uh, in Paul's day, the best mirrors you could buy um, would give you an imperfect reflection at best. Um, so now we can look in the mirror and have like certain lighting and kind of go like, oh, wow, I'm looking great today. Back then, you'd look in a mirror and you'd be like, that's what I look like? Because even on your best day, these mirrors, they were, they were distorted. It was almost like a funhouse mirror is the best way I know how to say it. You could see how many of you there are. You might be able to see if you have something on your face, but you're not going to see if that's a new pimple in that mirror. These mirrors were distorted. They were murky at best. And Paul Paul says, hey, you know how the mirrors don't quite give us a clear reflection like the water would or like another person can see? Well, that's what our knowledge is like, is finite creatures. There's a lot of things that God has given us in Scripture to know. He has given us reason that we can apply to things. There's a lot that we can understand, but there's a lot that we don't. Like anyone in this room have things about God you don't fully understand? Yeah, me too. You're in great company here. We know in part we're finite. We don't want to pretend to be more than that here. We want to be honest about our limitations and bring those to God. Paul says, all of this was me making the point that the perfect hadn't come yet. Because if there are things that we don't know, then the perfect can't have come yet. Are you with me? When the perfect comes, then we'll know in full and the gifts will pass 
away. But, but we have the Bible, and it's sufficient for guiding us in life, but it, it hasn't solved the mysteries of Bitcoin or women. I'm, I'm trying to raise girls right now. It hasn't solved these mysteries. One day we'll know in full, now we know in part, and we trust God's grace for the rest. The point is, the perfect hasn't come yet. This is talking about the return of Jesus to this world. He's the perfect one. He's the one that loves perfectly. We've been saying that for 12 weeks now, that this chapter is ultimately about him. And what Paul says is when Jesus returns to make this world new, when he reunites heaven and earth and wipes every ounce of brokenness out of the cosmos, on that day you will stand before him and see him face to face. And on that day, the gifts will cease. Because here's the point. You won't need them anymore. You won't need anyone like me to get up and preach about Jesus and how great he is. Because he'll just be right there. You'd be like, Chad, find a new job. Find a new hobby. Find something else to do, man. He's right there. Um, You won't need tongues. You won't need words of knowledge. We'll just know it all. We will know in full. So so that's what he's saying. When we see Jesus face to face, these gifts are going to pass away. Not because they're bad, but because they're given to us for a time, for a purpose. And when Christ comes and that purpose has been complete, these gifts will pass away. These gifts, in other words, are ultimately... They're good, but they're ultimately fleeting. They won't last forever. And if you live your life like these things are ultimate, if you live your life like this is the purpose, this is what will last forever, then what Paul says is you will miss out on something glorious. Um, I was at a birthday party yesterday that illustrated this perfectly. Um, It was a horse-themed birthday party for a little girl. And uh, not one of my friends, one of my daughter's friends. Some of you don't know me. We have three little girls. I feel like I should say that. I'm not creeping into birthday parties here. Um, but I took, I took our youngest to this party yesterday, and it was a horse-themed party. And they crushed it, man. They knocked it out of the park. Uh, there was even a live pony at this party that you could ride. I mean, it was themed. It was, it was, it was great. Um, downside of it is on the walk home, our youngest told me, um, Dad, I want a pony. So you could pray for us, because I'm like, I, I, I love that you can dream, sweetie. I love that you can dream. Keep dreaming. Maybe in heaven. <laughs> yeah, there is a veteran parent right there. I'm still figuring it out. But anyway, it, it was this wonderful party. But one of the things, that, here's what happened at this party. Um, there were also these blow-up ponies, kind of like a stick with a head that you could ride like that. And, and they had a little obstacle course set up. And at one point in the party, I noticed that there were some children doing something um, that if you're not a parent, will be shocking to you. If you're a parent, it won't be. Um, fighting over a certain color. Um, they wanted to have the right uh, blow-up pony to kind of ride along on and celebrate the pony experience. And I'm watching this whole thing, and I'm just going, you're fighting over a plastic blow-up pony when there's a real pony over there that you can ride? Like, how many ponies do you have to have at home that this isn't incredible and blowing your mind? But they didn't see the pony. They were fighting over the plastic stuff. And, and, and I think that's what the kind of thing that Paul is getting out on. It, Paul's getting at here. He's saying, um, man, those things are good. Plastic ponies are fun, and we took one home, and, and we're having a great time with that at home. But if you act like that's ultimate, you will miss out on something glorious, on the pony standing over there. If you're so obsessed with the gifts you will miss out on something more glorious. And so what is the proverbial pony uh, for us? 
I'm so glad you asked. I love when you ask to move the sermon along. Um, Paul says, okay, so those are the things that are fleeting, but then he says, there are things that will last forever. This is the pony off to the side that's like, you can ride this thing. Specifically, he tells us three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. Um, Now, you will see that triad all over the Bible um, because these things really work together. And so I want to chat for just a minute about these three things and how they work together. Um, When the Bible talks about faith, it's talking about far more than intellectual belief, like what you think in your mind. Um, When the Bible talks about faith, it's it's really talking about trust. Uh, This is uh, Jeremy getting up onto the chair here and all of you freaking out because you're like, that chair ain't going to hold him. He seems way too trusting in that chair. And we're never going to have a guest preacher ever want to come here again after he falls and gets hurt. It's confident. Trust. It's trust applied. It's someone saying, I tested this out before service, so even though they will gasp, I'm sure it will hold me. Sorry, just out of Jeremy's process probably. That's what the Bible's talking about, faith. It's committed, active trust. And what Paul says is, faith will last forever. So what that means is you will never stop expressing trust. Never. This is something you're always going to do. Now, um, faith may look different in eternity than it does here. Um, Because some days, I mean, let's just have some real talk, right? Doesn't faith some days just look like saying, God, I believe that you're real. And I believe and trust that you're good, even though I can't see it right now. Even though it looks like a rickety chair that I'm not sure will hold me, I'm going to hang on to my trust because I have faith in you. I mean, I don't know about you. Some days that's what faith looks like for me in this broken world. Now, when we see Jesus face to face, I don't think faith is going to necessarily look exactly the same. I don't think we're going to struggle with doubt the way we do now when we see him face to face. There's not going to be anyone going, are we sure God's real? He's going to be like, yeah, I'm standing right here. Get your eyes up. How are you not sure right now? Like, faith may look different in eternity, but what Paul says is faith will last through eternity. And so, um, maybe what faith looks like in heaven is saying, God, I, you're telling me I can fly? I've never flown before, but I trust you. I'll, I'll leap and try it, and pff, whoa, I can do it now. Maybe faith in eternity looks like, oh, you weren't kidding that faith could move a mountain? You actually want me to, like, relocate Everest into Diablo Valley so we could have more fun there? Great, Awesome. Like, faith might look different into eternity, but what Paul is saying is you and I will spend eternity learning more and more how trustworthy God is, how we can take him at his word, and how the deep life is found in depending on him because he is the most trustworthy one of all. Yeah, amen. So faith, well, I've been out for a couple of weeks. We're rusty. If you, if you hear something you want to clap, you go ahead and clap. You don't need to be nervous if the rest of us aren't. I know I've been out for a couple of weeks. Amen. That's good news. Uh, faith will last forever. Um, now, so does hope. And these two are, again, really closely connected. What hope is, is hope is the confident expectation that something will happen in the future. Um, Pastor Phil did a great job showing us that when the Bible talks about hope, it's not talking about wishful thinking. Like something I hope will happen. Like when the Bible talks about hope, it's not like me saying I hope the Sharks will win the Stanley Cup. Um, I have no reason to be confident that that will ever happen. 
Like there's a team in Canada that has like a hundred year drought. We've got a long time to go here, I think. Maybe I'm being pessimistic. Maybe I need to um, believe all things. I don't know. But that's not what the Bible's talking about, hope. That's, un- that's wishful thinking. There's no reason to think that. When the Bible talks about hope, it's more like saying, I hope the sun will rise in the morning. Because even though it's dark outside right now, um, even though there's not a light in the sky, I believe the sun will rise again because I've seen it again and again and again. And I know that as dark as the night is, I can trust that the morning's coming. That's what the Bible means when it's talking about hope. And, and at the risk of being too punny, um, Like our Christian hope, that moment of sunrise for us is literally the Son of God rising from the dead. In the middle of history, that is the moment that tells us, man, if Jesus is alive, then death is defeated, new creation is on the march, and one day heaven will wash over this world just as he promised. That is our moment. That is our confident future that we can trust because the tomb is empty. And in a day where people are losing hope, uh, for good reason, and in a day that it feels like, are we losing our minds? Is the world going to fall apart? Is what we used to call society tearing at the seams? Is the sun going to burn us up? Is the planet going to be gone? In a day when people are losing their hope, we as the people of God are to shine the light of the hope of the gospel. To say the darkness that you see is real, but it doesn't win in the end. And in fact, sometimes it looks the darkest just before the light dawns. That's what the Bible means when it's talking about hope. Confident assurance in a certain future. And and what's really interesting to me um, is Paul, Paul says hope will last forever. And if you really thought about that when we were reading that earlier. This one kind of messed with me. Like, I often think hope is what gets us to glory. Hope is what keeps us believing every day until Jesus makes the world new. But what Paul says is, hope doesn't just get you to heaven. Hope is something you will express in heaven. Hope will last forever. You and I, once we get there when Jesus makes the world new, we'll somehow have something to be excited about tomorrow morning. We'll have something to look forward to and be confident in it. Um, C.S. Lewis captured this so well in his final book in the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, I'm going to read it for you. There's some spoilers in here, but um, it's been like 60 years, so if you haven't read this, that one's on you, all right? Uh, Chronicles of Narnia, fantastic series uh, written for children to teach us deep truth about Jesus. And in the end, here's the spoiler. You can um, close your ears for a minute if you don't want to hear it. Everybody dies. Uh, Because that's life, right? Death gets us all in the end. And in the end, Aslan, the Jesus figure, resurrects them, brings them into a new creation, a new world. And here's what he says. Some of you are like, I can't believe you ruined that. It's been 60 years. Come on. Here's what Aslan says to them on that day. And as he, that's Aslan, spoke to them, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And as for us, it is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. 
And all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before it. Um, Hallelujah, like that. That's what Paul says when he means hope will last forever. What he's saying is, it's not just that hope means we will get to heaven, but when Jesus brings heaven to earth, every day we will wake up being confident that something better is happening tomorrow yet. Something better is happening tomorrow yet. We will have this confident assurance that every chapter is better, is somehow going to get better. And if you're like, I can't imagine better than perfect, you'll have a better imagination in glory. There's more to experience, there's more to taste, there's more to see. You will hope forever. And then we get to the greatest of these, love. Now, why is love the greatest? I was thinking about this this week. Um, Because, you know, faith is necessary to become a Christian and to taste of any of these things. So I'd say, I don't know. I mean, I think faith is pretty good. I think faith is pretty great. I was dead in my sins and trespasses. (laughs) And then by God's grace, I believed in Jesus. I trusted in him and he gave me his Holy Spirit and he gave me a new life. I'm a big fan of faith over here. That on my worst days when I fail, by faith I receive God's grace. Like, I'm a big faith fan over here. Anyone else a faith fan? Yes, we're big fans of faith here. Um, and, and, and also, additionally, hope, I think, is pretty great. Again, I think you look at the world right now, and you see the lack of hope. And you could almost see by inverse how important hope is. That when we lack hope, we act like crazy people. Hope is also pretty great and pretty important. But Paul says love, they're all great, they're all important, but the greatest of these is love. Why is this the greatest? I was thinking about it, and I, I think that he's saying love is the greatest because love is the end of our faith and our hope. It's the thing that we trust for. It's the thing that we hope in. See, it's not like we're going to get to glory and Jesus is going to see us face to face and say, well done, son or daughter. Come on in. Now, all that love stuff uh, that I told you about before, uh, leave that outside. We're going to move on to the real stuff, the important stuff, the, the sophisticated stuff. That's not necessary anymore. That's not at all the picture we get of heaven in the scriptures. Rather, what we see in the scriptures is that at the center of reality, there is a God who has always existed in a perfect community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the joy and the self-giving love that they've always expressed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from before eternity began, that, that thing that the Bible calls love is what overflowed onto the canvas of reality and gave birth to our world. So according to the Bible, it's not like love is something we need for a while like the gifts and then it will pass away. According to the Bible, love is at the center of reality. This is what we are made for. And when we get to glory, this is what God will restore perfectly in us. That we will taste more deeply of the love that Jesus has always enjoyed with the Father and the Spirit. That this is the future that we can confidently hope for. 
one where we move deeper and deeper into the life that we've been talking about this summer, into this way of living that we see perfectly in Jesus. Love will last forever. In other words, this chapter, everything we've been talking about here, everything we see in God, that is what we have to look forward to. And I'm so grateful that I'm hearing some of you worshiping right now. Because I was studying this week, and I was like, that sounds really abstract. So that just tells me the Holy Spirit's moving, and whoever said that over here. I was thinking this week, I was like, that sounds really abstract. And so if that sounds abstract to you, if you're at all like me, um, I want to try something to make this idea that love will last forever more concrete. And so if you would, for just a minute, try something and close your eyes for just a minute. Um, I want you to think back to the time in your life where you felt the most loved. Uh, Maybe it's a childhood memory. Uh, Maybe it's a more recent memory. But I want you to think to that time where you felt seen for who you are and delighted in. Just rejoice that you were there. Not for the stuff you could do, but you. I want you to think about a time where you felt like someone was willing to sacrifice for you, not because they had to, but because they were so delighted in you and so for you. If you've got that picture in your mind, that picture right there is but a, what Paul just said is that picture is a glimpse of what you will experience for all eternity. So you could go ahead and open your eyes right now. Whatever, whatever you felt, whatever passed through you there, the best of that is but seen through a mirror dimly. It is a glimpse, it is a taste, it is a shadow of what you will experience for all eternity. Because the best love, I don't know if you're thinking about a moment with God who loves perfectly or another human who loves imperfectly. But the best love we will experience in this world from other humans, it's, it's but a shadow of the way God loves us. And so whatever you thought of just now, Paul's saying um, that feeling right there, that is a glimpse of what you will experience for all eternity. If you are in Christ, you will spend all eternity experiencing more and more of the depths of God's love. And and here's the kicker. It's not just that you will experience the love of God more deeply, more fully. But the more that that love pours into you, that love begins to flow out of you to others. And again, if that sounds abstract, just think of Jesus Christ. He has been experiencing the love within the Godhead, Father, Spirit, and Son from all eternity. And in his earthly ministry, what we saw was the overflow of that love onto the canvas of reality. This is a glimpse of the kind of future that you have to look forward to. And so it's not just that you're going to be loved, it's I think that's the most amazing feeling in life. But also, like, think back to a time where maybe you loved someone else. You don't have to close your eyes right now, but maybe think about a time this week where you found yourself being so concerned about another person that you weren't, like, thinking about what it meant for you and you were just giving for their good. It didn't have to be perfect, but if you could think of a time like that, think about how freeing that felt. When Paul says love will last forever, he's talking about that memory from earlier, that glimpse coming to fruition. 
that moment where you gave self-sacrificially and you felt free because you weren't focused on yourself. That, that creativity and life is the kind of thing that we have to look forward to. Each and every day, knowing more of the love of God that lifts us up to new heights from which we will overflow with that love to others and to the world around us. And I can only imagine the type of world that will be when we are living in that type of love. Uh, Lewis describes it earlier uh, on that page in Narnia as an eternal holiday at sea. Um, For those of you that aren't British, that's a very British way of saying a great vacation. Um, so, So what he's saying is, On that day when we see Jesus face to face and we begin chapter one of the greatest story where every page is better than the one before it, on that day, it's going to be like an eternal vacation. It's going to be so different from the life we have known in this world and the shadows and the glimpses that we have had in this world that it would be like saying the difference between summer vacation and the school year. Which, kids, I know you can feel the difference between summer and the school year. Parents, that one, you have to flip that one around in your mind, because I think for a lot of parents, actually, the school year's freedom and the summer is like, what am I going to do? But it's a book for kids. It's going to be that different, Lewis says. That when you go to heaven, it'll be like an eternal vacation. And that doesn't mean that you won't work there or have exciting things to do. What it's saying is it will be that much more freeing and exciting and liberating, and you'll want to live your whole life there in good news you'll get to by God's grace. That's the proverbial pony. When Paul says that faith, hope, and love last forever, he's saying that you will spend eternity trusting in the confident hope that there is more love coming for you tomorrow than today. And as great as today was, tomorrow is going to be greater because we're with Jesus and he's with us and we have hope to look forward to in his love. Yes. That's the hope of the gospel church. And that's what this chapter is about. And and here's the thing about the gospel I think that most people miss. Though if you just applauded, I I bet the spirit's at work right now and you're seeing this. I think what we can often miss, certainly those outside the church, but even those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, I think sometimes we can miss that our future begins now. Heaven is not a place we go to someday far away from here. What the Bible tells us is heaven is the realm where God is. And heaven has come bursting into our world through the person and the work of Jesus. And through his resurrection power and through his Holy Spirit, heaven is at work pushing back darkness in this world if we would just by faith participate. That is the hope of the Bible. And so the idea is we don't have to wait to love like this. Our future begins now because Jesus brought heaven crashing down to earth. And new creation is on the march. And I think one of the best ways to possibly see this is through the lives of real people. And so what we're going to do in just a couple of moments now is we're going to pass a mic around right now. Um, Because 12 weeks ago, week one of the series, uh, we had this invitation, give yourself to love. Try something out this summer. Say, God, I want you to grow me in love this summer and see what happens. Press in and ask the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. And what we're going to do now is we're going to pass a mic and, and share. And I think one of the best ways we could drive home that our future begins now is to hear it from our brothers and sisters. And so here's how this time is going to work. If you have something to share... 
Um, and by the way, if you're feeling like, oh, I, I don't know if I should share, uh, you can encourage your church family. I would encourage you, you can share. We love you here. Don't be afraid to share. But if you've got something to share, um, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll bring a microphone to you. Um, if you could start by saying your name, because um, not everyone knows everyone here. We'd love to put a name with a face. And then just share. Try to keep in two-ish minutes. Try to keep it to about that. How God's been at work in your life this summer. There's a slide up here to remind you of it. How has God been growing you in love this summer? We put 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7 on the left. We're just going to take some time right now to share with one another how Jesus has been at work in our lives to encourage us that our future truly does begin now. And then I'll come back up at the end and finish out this message with one thing you for sure won't want to miss. Such an encouragement. Uh, and thank you for sharing. Your story gives glory to God. So thank you to everyone uh, who shared. And we'll certainly have time after if you want to uh, continue uh, giving glory to God with your stories. But I just want to land the plane here um, by talking about why would Paul end the chapter this way. Um, and, and, and here's why I think he ends the chapter uh, with this picture of our future that begins now. Uh, I think it's because he knows people. Um, Paul is a, was a very, very good pastor, and I think he, he knew that um, after giving us this beautiful description of love, it's so easy for his friends in Corinth, I, I know it's easy for me, maybe it's easy for you too, uh, to say, that's a very nice thing. Um, I, I would love to love like that. And then we move on to a new sermon series, and we just kind of put that onto the shelf, and we go straight back to the things we were thinking about before the summer of love. Um, I, I don't know about you, but one of the ways that God's been really working in my heart this summer is realizing how often I treat love as optional and everything else is important. And uh, maybe it's not that explicit for you, but I think Paul knows human nature that we're going to get this beautiful description of love, and the second he moves on, we're going to be prone to moving back to the temporary, the temporal things uh, in our lives. For the church in Corinth, it was spiritual gifts. Um, this is what they thought made life tick. This is what they thought made you a varsity versus a junior varsity Christian. And um, I don't know what it is for you, um, but I don't think that you and I are that different from the Christians in Corinth. I think it's real easy uh, for us to focus our life, our time, our treasures, our talents, our energies around temporal things. And, and maybe for you, it's not spiritual gifts. Maybe for you, it's your job. Uh, maybe for you, it's a hobby that you really love. Uh, maybe for you, it's politics. Uh, maybe for you, it's just getting through the grind of parenting and saying, how am I going to get all the kids to school, everyone fed, homework done, people bathe, like people not killing each other and somehow get sleep for myself in there. Like there's so much in our lives that can keep us busy and um, all those things can be good things. Like even politics can be good things if done right. But like the gifts, they're fleeting. They're things we will have for a time but they are not what we will have for eternity. And I think the reason that Paul ends with this ch the chapter this way is to say if you give your focus and your time and your treasures and your talents to things that are temporary and treat love like it is optional, you will miss out on something glorious. 
Because this is the future we have to look forward to. That futures come bursting into this world. And so don't fight over plastic ponies when there's a real life pony ride available to you today. I think that's what he wants to encourage us with as we end the chapter. And so if I could just wrap this whole series up, it'd be with this. Ride the pony. Ride the pony. Um, and, and in other words, keep giving yourself to love. Week one of this series, we said give yourself to love this summer. Here's what God has just told me. He's just put one word on it. Keep. Keep giving yourself to love. We're going to move on to a new series all about uh, living by faith next week, which is great because that also lasts forever. But, but we can't, this can't be the end, church. We can't just move past love onto something else. I think Paul ends the chapter here this way to say no matter what you do, whether you're talking about Abraham in Genesis, whether you're talking about a church in Corinth, make sure you're doing it in love. The way he'll say it else in the letter is whether you're eating or drinking, give glory to God. And what gives glory to God is when we love him and other people. And so I just want to encourage you as we bring this to a close, don't move past this. It's going to be real easy to move on to other things that are more immediate. But what if you gave your best energies to being a person that grows in an experience with the love of God that would flow through you and a fuller expression of this kind of love to those around you. Can you imagine? I mean, we heard stories from three months. Can you imagine if you did that for three years, what your life would look like? For 30 years, or, you know, if Jesus is going to tarry, and if we've got that long, for, for longer than 30 years, I'm not good at math. I didn't pay attention. But the big idea is what if we kept giving ourselves to this? I think this is why Paul ends with the chapter, to encourage us to let everything in your life, your job, your relationships, your hobbies, everything you do, let those things important as they are, become a means to the end of loving God and loving others and growing in your love for God and growing in your love for others. Far from cheapening all of those things, it'll give them a greater weight as they will now be tethered to something eternal. So keep giving yourself to love, church. That's my final word in this series because the stories you heard this morning aren't an accident. The stories you heard this morning are proof that the gospel is true, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is at work, and he will continue to be at work all the way until he brings us home to glory. And if you're sitting there while people are sharing, going, well, golly, I failed. I mean, I got a story, but it's one that's not going to encourage anybody. Uh, Here's what I'll tell you. I got those stories from this summer, too. Just real talk. I'm preaching these sermons. I'm like, come on, that was like two weeks ago. Ah! But church, even our stories of failure are proof of the gospel. Because the gospel is not the good news that if you try to be like Jesus, you can do it in your own strength. The gospel is not good advice about how to be a better person. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done to bring us life. And church, our hope is not that we will grow in love through white knuckle effort, but our hope is that what verse 8 says, that love never fails. That Jesus, when we ask him to send your spirit to make a more loving heart in me, will work in us from one degree of glory to another. It might not be at the speed you want. Golly, for my own life, it's more zigzag than I'd like. But he has promised, I'll grow you in this. Ask me, seek, knock. And our hope is not that we would get to a future of love on our own, but that love will never fail. And that Jesus, through all of our imperfect efforts and our good days and bad days, 
will carry us faithfully home to that day where we enter chapter one of the greatest story that's ever been told, where we will trust in confident hope that tomorrow isn't going to be even better than yesterday because there's more love to be had, because not because we're awesome, but because we're in Christ. That's the hope we have. And church, that's ultimately the hope that we're celebrating every week when we take communion. And so I'm going to invite Marky and up. We're going to close our service with two things. We're going to share communion, and then we're going to sing one last song together to cap off our celebration. Um, And in communion, what we are celebrating is this idea that we're not the ones that are going to get ourselves to glory, but that love has come down and rescued us. That for all the ways we lack love, even in our hopes to grow in love, Jesus has laid down his life, perfect love, on the cross to cover all of our brokenness, to cover all the ways that we have failed, to buy our entrance into his glorious kingdom. And what we are celebrating when we take of the shed blood and broken body of Jesus is, it is not my merit that will get me in. It is Jesus who will not fail to get me in. And the same Jesus that will get me there on the last day, if I would turn to him in faith today, he'll work in my heart today. And so if you are a Christian, if you're someone who have trusted in that gospel, I want to invite you in just a moment to take the bread and the cup. We're going to take it all together as a community to celebrate this in love this morning. Um, If you haven't received communion, you need to go ahead and raise your hand. We're going to hit everyone up here that uh, needs it, that didn't get it. And if you're not a Christian, you're like, I'm not sure what I believe about the hope of the gospel. We are so happy you're here. We would invite you to continue coming and processing what you believe about Jesus. Um, I wouldn't want to pressure you to take some something you're not sure you believe in. But what I will say is if you would turn to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, if you're real, make yourself known to me. I want to love like this. I'm just trying to work out what I understand, my objections. I'm trying to work some stuff out. I think if you pray that prayer when we take this communion in just a moment, that's the most honest, authentic thing you can do, and Jesus will meet you right there. And so church, if you're able, let's go ahead and stand. I love that we take communion every week. I love that we can do that when the Holy Spirit prompts us. But there's something about from time to time standing and taking is one body and saying, this is what brings us together. Not our age, not our political affiliation, not our hope for sports teams. Like none of our preferences are what bring us together. What bring us together are we've tasted of the love of God in a glimpse and we want to taste more. And so now we come together around this table and remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he broke, took bread, and when he had broken it, he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember, church, the love of Jesus for us. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, I know you're going to fail me, but I'm never going to fail you. I love you. I am about to show you by shedding my blood for you. And so he said, I want you to take this cup. And whenever you take it again, I want you to do it in remembrance of me and remember my love for you because I'll never fail you. Church, let's take this and celebrate that Jesus will never fail us. For all the great stories we heard this morning, church, that is the greatest story worth celebrating. And so we're going to sing one last song about the love of Jesus and what he, by his grace, has put in us. And then we'll roll out of here celebrating uh, after singing. Let's sing this last song together.